incredibly exclusive episode of The Sheriff. Guys, today we have a character with us that I recently had the experience of golfing with at a charity golf tournament for Steve Ludzig. And this is where I first met this gentleman. And the first thing that came to my mind is I need to know who this man is because of how kind and graceful he was. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Jim Thompson. How are you doing, my friend? Good, Good. Sean and Kyle. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Kyle, how are you feeling tonight, my friend? Fantastic. I'm excited to be back on. It's been a couple episodes since I've been on, so I'm always pumped to be on the Sheriff with you, Sean. Buddy, I love it when you're on because it just feels like an exclusive show, and that's why I had to say it tonight, Jimmy. Now, Jimmy... I um I have to admit, man, I, I had a really, really good time at, at the Steve Ludzig uh, charity golf tournament. Um, man, I, me and Danny Granger, my brother-in-law, we still talk about it to this day. And it was just a great experience for us, man. And we got to meet some incredible people. And it was just really fun for us in general. How, did, how, how was your experience with the golf tourney, man? Well... You know, when you go to them, Sean, you like I run into people that I played with or played against. And, you know, as we were sitting in there waiting for our tee off time, former teammate and friend Paul Coffey walks by, you know, like and and that's what's so great about these events is because you can not have seen a guy for 10, 15 years. And the minute you see him again, it's like you haven't lost contact with him. I mean, that's one unique thing about hockey is, you know, we get older, but we don't forget. Very, very true. Very, very true. Jim, I, um, your story is so strong that I, I'm getting really excited just thinking about it, right? But what I really want to do first is, is, is I want to explain your beginnings because I know you're very proud of where you're from, right? And I want to make sure I pronounce it right. Westview Village. It is. That's uh... the name of the, of the town, correct? No, that's the name of the trailer park. It's a mobile home park. And my parents moved there in 1972, Sean, and there was one trailer who nobody, nobody was living in. It was basically just a dirt field. So we were the first family in 1972. We moved from Edmonton, uh, Westview Village. Winterburn is the little town that Westview Village uh, is in, um, just 15, 20 minutes outside Western West Edmonton. So... Anyways, 1972, we moved into this mobile home from Edmonton, apartment in Edmonton. My father worked in the oil rig, so he was gone for two weeks and home for two days. So I didn't see much of him growing up. But yeah, and then Westview Village, if you look at it today, I believe it's the largest mobile home park in North America. So we were the first in it. And now it's a massive, massive uh, place. So, so like Jim, so when you say you guys were the first in it, so it was, it, it was empty. It was empty. It was uh, dirt roads, dirt fields, uh, a lot of ponds. You know, one, one of the nice things about that area is when the ponds froze over, we skated. And that was that was something that, you know, you'd walk 50 feet from your trailer and, and there's a pond, right? So um, it was dirt. It was nothing there. And, um, you know, it slowly got bigger and bigger. Our, our trailer number was 353 Westview Village. And, uh, you know, it's it's what made me a man today. You know, just growing up in that tough lifestyle, I didn't come from much, obviously, as the youngest of 10. Um, you know, my mom never drove, drove a car, and, 
you know, she just raised kids. <laughs> Did you? Wait, can, can we get a correction here? You said youngest of 10 children? Youngest of 10. Yeah, it's funny. It's I was playing in L.A. There was nine of us. And I was playing in L.A. and my, my uh, sister called and she said, you better sit down. She goes, uh, we just found that we have another sister. So my sister Noreen came in as the 10th. And sadly, she was given up for adoption, but got a great family, and she found us. And um, that was that was a wild, wild time to find out we had another sister. Wow! So that was when you were playing for the Kings. That was when I was with the Kings. I found out that I had another sister, Noreen, and my mom had passed away at this point. And when I got back to Edmonton uh, after the season, you know, the first time I met this lady who was my sister, it was like the split in, split in image of my mother. And it was just really great, but it was ah. really weird. It was, it was almost, you know, it was weird. It was strange because she looked so much like my mom, but it was a blessing because she's a beautiful lady. Isn't that now, incredible? Can yeah. you just touch on what it's like to grow up with that many children? I mean, you guys got to be battling for every scrap of food. Yes. And you know, it's funny you know, I appreciate food so much today and, you know, growing up with not a lot, like, you know, we had the big bag of puff wheat. It was a cereal called puff wheat with a scoop in it and you go and powdered milk. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that, but it's a powder you mix with water. That was our milk. Like I said, you know, we, we scraped by and you, when food was put on the table, you didn't ask what it was. You just ate. And today, till this day, I appreciate food so much because we didn't have a lot of it growing up. Jim, I gotta say, man, I'm, 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 I'm even a bigger fan of you now. In the first <laughs> five minutes of our show, man, this is this is incredible. What I find the most incredible so far is is how much your your newly found sister, well, at that time, looked like your mother. Yeah, that was that was Sean. It was wild, you know. It was, it was all, I don't want to use the word creepy, but it was like her hands and just my mom had passed away and she'd been gone for a bit, right? And just meeting this lady was just it was like you know it was really it was special. I mean, it was special, but a little little you know caught me off guard how much she looked like my mother. And then have you guys have you guys developed a, a, a relationship like since then? hundred percent. She's my sister. Um, you know, we see when I go back, I'm go back West, you know, I make a point of seeing her just like my other siblings that I grew up with. So she's part of our family now. And, you know, it's amazing that she found us and we're blessed that she found us. So what's the, what's the count on boys and girls here? Five and five. Whoa. Uh, 50, 50 (laughs) down the middle. Yeah. So how close so, are your brothers to you age-wise? Uh, a, my my brother Doug is four years, uh, four years, and then the other the other ones are sadly all three of them have passed away. Um, two died of cancer. Yeah, I appreciate it. One was killed in a car crash. No seatbelt. So for all of the, your fans watching, wear a seatbelt. If he had a seatbelt on, my brother Johnny would have lived. Um, but anyways, yeah, so they, they were older, and my oldest sister now is 72, so. Yeah, man. So five sisters. Yes, and they're all alive. That's a handful, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah, beautiful ladies. Yeah. Beautiful ladies. 
Yeah. So, Jimmy, one of the things that I'm most curious about, especially now hearing about like like the details of the upbringing, is minor hockey for you, man. What mm-hmm. like how did you what what were you able to get into being one of ten kids like? What was that for you? A great question. So my mom, like I had, first time I skated, I brought a, uh, I didn't even know like skating, nothing. Like we didn't, you know, I wasn't watching hockey at that point. And I was six years old. So my friend was skating on the ponds and he's like, you want to skate? And he let me use his dad's skates, which were obviously way too big. So I put these skates on him, which I'll never forget it. And everybody was amazed. I could skate. I put the skates on and I was skating on the ice couldn't stop obviously so growing <laughs> up growing up my mom had no idea because like i said she grew up in england moved over here met my father she never had a driver's license never drove her car in, in her her life so it wasn't like my dad was gone as i already explained two weeks home for two days so i had to depend on getting rides for hockey but my first hockey season so we played on an outdoor rink and I had no equipment or nothing, so I went with mitts, a hockey stick, uh, my skates, right, jeans and whatever, and everybody's in hockey gear. So what happened was, um, I'll never forget it, the coach had, you know, you guys have seen this drill before, you start in the one end, and you skate to the blue line, drop on two knees, get up, red line, drop on knees, two oh, knees, get up. Man. Well, I don't have shin pads on. Oh. But I, I was determined, right? So anyways, <laughs> I, I went down and did this drill, and went back and then I saw the two coaches talking and the guy came up to me and he says, do you have shin pads on? I said, no, he goes, I don't want you to do this drill anymore. And after the tryout, it was the first tryout I made the team. And yeah. he told me later, you know, obviously that character trait that I would, he could see I'd do anything to uh, be there. So that was my first experience. Uh, we played on an outdoor rink, a great story that I love to tell. Because their teams were so far in distance, if a team traveled, and it's not like today where you can just text or get on, you know, game canceled because of weather. If a team traveled, oh, yeah. right, and there was a snowstorm, yeah. and I'll never forget, a team came from Barhead, Barhead, Alberta, and the fathers would shovel the, this end of the rink when the play would go down there. There was so much snow, but we it was just an experience that you can't imagine. We got the game off, right? And, you know, as a young boy, you're freezing, your hands are freezing, but we, would, we wouldn't trade it for nothing. Wow. And, like, yeah. but just to add to that, so, like, what you were saying about the technology, a team could be coming to play you, they could yeah. get caught in a snowstorm, they're hours away, and no one would know, or, you know, like, Nobody know. two minutes or two days. No, and, and we would make a point of going and being at the rink and, you know, not everybody would show up because, but back then it was different. Like today, people don't leave when they see snow. Back then we, you know, we plugged our cars in there. Like we, we, we things were different, man. And we, you know, the town I played in when I moved from Winterburn shut down, I moved to, uh, I played in a, on an Indian reserve for two years, Enoch Indian reserve. And then I moved on to another town called Devon. But when you go to Devon, it's about 45 minutes away from the trailer park. There's this massive hill. And in the winter, you know, there would be cars. You couldn't get up the hill because it was so steep. So there's a lot of memories as a young boy, you know, trying to get to the hockey rink that, you know, is completely different than today. So 
like growing up and obviously your mom never drove and your dad was working constantly. Like did the other hockey dads step up and pull you in, like kind of put you under like a, like almost put their wing around you. They did. And you know, it's like this. And I, and I'm, you know, I was blessed that I was a good player because everybody wanted, we, they wanted me on their team and, you know, it would be minus 40 for two weeks at, back in those days, like minus 30, minus 40 in, in Alberta, right? Or not in Alberta, but Edmonton. And I loved hockey so much. I, I would shoot pucks in my driveway every night. I had a really good shot. And it was just from shooting pucks. And the goalie was Ken Dryden. I was Anders Hedberg back in the yeah. Rangers Montreal days. And so this was the game I was playing in my own head. But yeah. I developed some really good skills just from passionate freeze my fingers freeze my feet but i'd be outside freezing shooting pucks and so to answer your question i depended on parents every year to take me to hockey so you know there was times where a a father would come a half hour out of his way pick me up and then another parent would take me from here and bring me home it was like this team and my mom would give the money for gas and all that but you know i'll tell you this much guys when I made the NHL, I went and thanked every one of those families that, you know, I depended on because they were the reason how, you know, they helped my development get there. Because if I couldn't get to hockey, I would never have played, right? And you, and you know what, Jim? All those families that you recognize, buddy, I, I, I just know that they probably just love the fact that you mentioned them and, and acknowledge them and, and dude, they're they're probably so thankful to be a part of your journey, dude. Because trust me, they wouldn't have done it if you weren't the person that you are, right? And they saw all these incredible things in you, and were like, "We're gonna help this kid because he deserves it," right? You, you, you're you're bang on. I didn't like I couldn't afford equipment. You know, they got me equipment. They like they came together and just I was this kid growing up in a trailer park that. You know, the, the saying when it takes a village, it took a village and it took a village every year until I ended up moving out with my uncle and uh, aunt and Markham. And but through Alberta time, yeah, I depending on rides to get to hockey. That's exactly where I was going to go next, buddy. You must be some kind of psychic genius. <laughs> I was going to ask you, what? was the connection to Markham, Ontario? Because I know that's the move that you decided. And, and, and I want to talk about that decision as well, but you just answered it. You have an aunt and uncle in Markham? Yeah, so what happened? My dad was born in Markham, and he was, you know, I listen to people talk, that was one of the best hockey players in Markham. Wow. And he was slated to go to the Boston Bruin camp back in the original six days. And at 17, he went to World War II and became a war hero. He became a sergeant, was recognized by General Montgomery. I got the citation in my office. And so he became, you know, he gave up hockey, obviously, uh, to fight four years in Europe. But what he did was he took me, I I, I was into some bad things growing up. I mean, I, I had a job. So at 12 years old, I started smoking marijuana and drinking a champagne called Baby Duck, 12 years old. 14, I'm driving to high school now with the older kids, smoking drugs on the way to school. And just, I was a burnout, complete burnout, but I was a good hockey player. Yeah. So at 14, at 14, I'll lead into Markham. I came home from high school and I was going to Spruce Grove High School. And I said to my mom, I said, I want to quit school, take correspondence. I mean, I had long hair at that time and cut my hair off. I'm going to train for hockey, stop hanging out with 
the kids that I was, you know, obviously goofing off with. And she said, no way. She said, your older brothers quit school. And uh, so my brother Frank was there. Thank thank goodness, because he said, you better let him do it, because if you don't, he's going to quit school anyway, right? This was just the lifestyle that we, we grew up with. So she let me do it. I got correspondence, did my schoolwork at home. I walked to a rink called Parkland Arena every day, played with all the men's shinny every day. And they were like, why isn't this kid in school? It was kind of funny. And at 14, my dad took me out to Markham, and my uncle said, bring us skates because my dad would brag about how good I was and how many goals I scored and all that. So anyways, I ended up skating with a Markham midget triple A team and fit in pretty well. And they asked me to stay and play with them, but I came back and played at home and that was the first connection. So unbeknownst to me, um, the Toronto Marlboros, who my uncle was connected with, all he did is know some of those guys, Frank Bunnell and that, they came out to Alberta and watched me. And they invited me the next year to training camp. So at that point, I was 16 now because we've gone in your uh, hockey. And uh, I ended up starting with the Marlboros, uh, getting sent to the Markham Waxers, lived with Monocle and Amp for three years. And then my second year, uh, got drafted by Washington. So I, like I said, you know, my parents were the best parents I knew how to be, but they were both alcoholics. I grew up in that type of lifestyle. And Obviously, I started when I was 12 years old and was fortunate to get out of it. Um, but, you know, my dad saw something and he wanted to get me out of there and hand me off to my uncle, who was a 25 year uh, in sobriety from being an alcoholic. So it was the perfect storm for me to meet this man and my, my, my aunt that, you know, straightened my shit out and, and got me focused on what I was really good at, which was hockey. Wow, so Shinny, Shinny one season, the next season, a little bit of Tier 2, but mostly OHL? A little bit of OHL, mostly Tier 2. So I started with the Marlies, got sent to Markham Waxers, then I got called up for the playoffs to play against Cornwall Royals, uh, Doug Gilmore, Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was, I'll never forget it. Uh, Just, you know, you're in awe, right? Steve Eisenman (laughs) was in Peterborough. There there were some great players back in those days. And, um, you know, just great memories. And and the other thing is, is I got to play in Maple Leaf Gardens. The Toronto Marlboros played in Maple Leaf Gardens. So growing up in Edmonton, seeing, you know, that was our team now, Toronto Maple Leafs, because we didn't have a team when we grew up. And then, as you know, the Oilers came into WHA. But you know, the bunker with uh, King Clancy and Harold Ballard, and all of a sudden, there I am playing, you know, in this building that I was just in awe of. Out of all the stuff that went on in my career, playing junior hockey in in Maple Leaf Gardens was unbelievable. Just, it's just every Saturday afternoon was, it was quite a treat, I gotta tell you. You know what, Jim? Like, I, I, like, I knew that the, that the Marlies, like, were an OHL team, like at a point of time, but I never really put that together of where they played. That's incredible. Yeah. You guys played at Maple Leaf Gardens. We did, and and it was you know we could go to the Leaf games for free. Like we were they the ah. Harold Ballard Harold Ballard owned us, right? So yeah, we we had uh, we just it was it was amazing. You know, it was amazing to go downtown and play hockey where the Leafs played, and then to interact yeah. with them and. 
it was it was just for a kid that came from a trailer park i was i was just in just another planet i was so excited hockey was my life obviously it still is like you guys and you know to have that experience you know we'll i'm sure we'll get into playing with gretzky in the stanley cup final and all that stuff but i'll tell you this playing junior hockey in maple leaf gardens is up there with the biggest thrills of my career so now the other thing I, I wanted to ask you, buddy, was what about going from the trailer park in, you know, pretty much northern Alberta is where it's, is, that's what it's considered, right? Yeah. To the biggest city in the country, man. Like, was that a big change for you? Like, even oh, Markham, yeah. Markham oh, yeah. Was like 15 minutes from downtown, 20 minutes in tops. Yeah. So obviously the first trip was uh, Niagara Falls, you know, like, yeah. just, just, you know, Edmonton's. You know, I think at that time it was 700,000 people. And we yeah. don't have a lot there, right? We got a museum. There's not a lot there, the Northbound Coliseum. So to come into Toronto was just, you know, just flying in, all the hotels. Yeah. And you know, when you fly into Pearson as a young boy, you're going, wow. Like, this is, I'll never forget it. It was just like fantasy land, right? And then, you know, going to Wonderland back in the day. Just little things, right? It's, yeah. uh as as a kid coming into a big city like that and having a family that has suffered with alcohol dependency issues, what was it that kept you on the straight and narrow, like from your perspective? Like, I mean, I, was there a little bit of fun that was had? Like, but like, what kept you focused on hockey? Great question. Yeah. So my uncle was 25 years sober and he made it very clear. You break the rules you mess around you're going back home say no more and even when i became older like a veteran you know after i got drafted and and you know i had that respect for him and my aunt that i never crossed that line you know i'm not going to tell you that our team parties i didn't have a few drinks but i didn't you know we stayed over right the team would stay over there but there was no hanky panky um just because of the respect factor and what this guy had done for me you know, he just, I got a tattoo on the back here, my aunt and uncle, they're a big part of, a big part of me making it, you know, just him bringing me down and letting me be this, have this experience with Frank Bonello and Harold Ballard and all these people that you saw on TV, you know, King Clancy, Jim Gregory, all these guys, I, I got to be around them for three years, right? So, yeah, there was no, there was, I wasn't screwing that up. <laughs> I know I'm going a little bit outside the timeline, but you know, was your was your aunt and uncle one of the first calls you made, like w- when you got called up? Well, what's what's funny is back then when I got drafted, because I went back to Edmonton and we were in the trailer, we had a draft party, which almost was a disaster. Because um, <laughs> right? you know, back then you you just you know we're we're everybody's just so excited that this might even be real. Yeah. So. Without the Europeans coming into the draft, they were telling me I was rated third to fifth round. So I'm thinking, I must be getting drafted. And then my agent at the time said, yeah, you're going to be picked. So the draft party started at 12 noon when back then TSN covered it for three rounds. So my trailer was jammed with people, right? And we're all there, you know, having fun. But in my mind, as round one's gone, obviously, two. And now we're into three, and then it shut off. So again, there's no social media and all that following the draft right so my mom my mom had a, a, a light pink you know the rotary phone so i stared at that as the phone's ringing right here but i stared at that phone 
hour after hour waiting it for, for it to ring. So at this point, everybody had left except my mom and my best friend, Dave Matthews. We're the only three left in the trailer. And all of a sudden at 9.10, I'll never forget it, the phone rang. And I, at this point, I thought, you know what? Hey, we're, let's, you know, so one of my buddies, let's go out, you know. So I pick up the phone and uh, it was Jack Button, the late Jack Button, Craig Button's father, who drafted me and said, uh, Jack Button from the Washington Capitals. And you were picked in the ninth round and we're happy to have you. And I, I mean, I just sitting in this mobile home, like it's just, it's so surreal. Like when I think about it today, it's, it's really, it's really cool. Like it's just a cool journey of how it all came together. And so, yes, obviously, you know, after some siblings and that, my aunt and uncle being two hours ahead that we called them and it was an amazing time. It's just amazing memory. Dude, that's thank you for sharing that, man. I don't know if you can notice, but I'm literally on the edge of my seat listening <laughs> to stories, man. I, you this know, it's funny. Prep. It's to Sean talking about it, it. It just, you know, I think about it. I go, that is pretty screwed up. Like it's pretty wild. And you know, this is what's wild: is the people I grew up with. They're they they don't know because they knew I was a stoner. They knew I was an alcoholic at a young age. This is all we did in the trailer park. I had I I was timekeeping at the hockey arena. So I had money to buy drugs. I had money to buy the booze. You know, I, we had bootlegger and we go over to my buddy's place and we get stoned and drink. We're 12 years old, 13 years old. That's what we did in the trailer park, right? And I always say this, if you've ever watched the trailer park boys, you know, it's not that far-fetched. It is what, what, there's not a lot to do there. So how I go from there to, you know, get over to this part of life, it's it's pretty amazing. Yes, it is amazing. Just Just real quick, Jim. Kyle, do you know the Trailer Park Boys? Because that's like a Canadian. I'm a, I'm aware I'm aware of it. I don't. Okay, really okay. You know, I was just curious, like you know what I mean, Jim. So, how big were you at that time? That that's another thing I want to ask you. Like like, were you one one of the kids that went through puberty quicker, or were you a late bloomer? Like, were you big at fourteen, fifteen? Yeah. So I grew. I was basically six feet at that age, right? Okay. And I was. I was, I, I worked like once I stopped the chaos and, and, you know, in the trailer, my brother who was there that night, the, what I talked about before, I used the coffee table as a bench press. He got me some mixed match weights. So my, yeah. the living, the living room turned into my gym. Mm -hmm. So I was strict on everything I was doing at 14 and I was built like I was ripped because I was working out. That's all I had was school at home. And then I'd work out three, four times a day. I just couldn't get enough of it. And I'd be out shooting pucks and walking to the rink and all this sorts of things. So I was in phenomenal shape. I started playing junior B when I was 14, right? Um, playing with the big boys and I could handle that. So, but yeah, I was, I, I grew quick and then, you know, maxed out at what I am today. So now here's the other thing, and, and it's it's actually going to be quite a big talking point, dude. You you're you're a really good hockey player, man. Like you put up big numbers in junior. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? You you were fifty plus point man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. What I want to talk about, Jim, is what you had to do to play at those highest levels, man. Because you're a sniper. I wasn't a sniper. My last year in junior, I think I had seven goals. Yeah. I think you, your last year in junior, you almost had 30 goals, man. Yeah. I, right? I was, yeah, my last year minor hockey, I scored 68 goals. Like, I was a goal scorer. 
And, you know, what happens is, you know, growing up with four older brothers and learning, you know, uh, protective instincts, right? All these things that I learned from them, they were tough guys, bikers, you know, they, they taught me a lot about how to be a quietly a tough guy. I did not like fighting. You know, I was never this guy that, you know, I, you know, you don't like to use the word hate guys, but I hated it. You know, it drove me to a lot of stupid things and, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But anyways, what happened was I got called up from midget to junior B at 14 and we're playing this team from Stony Plain. And I'll never forget it. This couple guys, big beards, you know, they're 20 year olds. Yeah. So I, I had by the net, I had got a rebound and next thing you know, I got decked from behind by this guy. And it's one of those big guys with the beard. He looks like you. <laughs> That's him. But anyway, he's like, <laughs> he looks at me. He's like, you know, what are you going to do like this whole thing? I'm just a kid, man. I'm a skinny kid. So as my brothers taught me, don't ask questions, hit first. So I got yeah. up and he's like, what are you going to do? And I dropped my glove in a lucky punch and I hit him right on the button and knocked him out. So this is where it all started. Then the word got in the junior B loop that this 14-year-old, right? Remember, I'm six feet at this point, too. So it's not like I'm this, you know, knock knock this guy out. Well, it's not as big as you guys, but, um, you know, we'll talk about that in a second, too, Sean. Um, But this this is where it all started. And I, I never asked for this. So next thing you know, when I came to Toronto, I had a couple good scraps in training camp against Peterborough. You know, they really had tough teams in that. So when I made the team, there's a yearbook, which I still have, right? Probert's in it, Shane Corsett's in it. All the, These are legit heavyweight guys. Um, Buka boom. But anyways, what do they put in there? The Alberta, listen to this, the Alberta-raised winger has established himself as the best fighter on the team. Well, what do you think that just did to me? Because every guy that's... You put a target that, on your back? I put a freaking target on my back. And I'm sitting there going, why would they print that? I, I Like, that's not me. So, obviously, I had to fight in the OHL a bit. Not, you know, I wasn't the, you know, my... I had majors. I didn't have a lot of penalty minutes, but I fought. I protected my teammates. So, moving quickly forward, when I got drafted by Washington, the late Brian Murray told me, um, after my first year in Binghamton, where I had a you know a couple hundred penalty minutes, um, he said, "If you want to make our team, you got to fight more." The next year, I had led the league in penalty minutes, had 41 fights, and that's and hated every one of them. Hated every like that wasn't me, but I would do anything to make the NHL. So we're kind of jumping ahead here, but that's how that story turned. So I wanted to score goals, and if you look at my one year in American Hockey League, I was on a 50-goal pace in Baltimore. I had 25 goals in 40 games or 41, something like that. And I, I was, you know, I could score. So that that is the old sacrifice to do anything to live out your dream, right? You're now also for, a point. Sorry, go ahead, Kyle. So now for, like, for everybody, it's a little bit different. Like, Sean, I, I've had in-depth conversations with him before fights, before games, and he has to like psych himself up. Like he has to get himself ant. Like there's no way this dude's fucking beating me. I'm going to kill him. Like that's how Sean goes into his games and into his fights. You don't like fighting, but did it because it was like almost asked of you and required. How did you psych yourself up 
for a fight? Like, how did you get yourself in the mindset or was it just, were you an anxious mess? Like, yeah, it's a great question, Colin. This is, this is goes back to, you know, listen, I trained hard. I was strong when, and that's what I was going to say, fighting the Dave Browns and guys, Sean's side, Stu Grimms and Mike Poos, all these big guys I had to fight. I just studied tape to know what, just to survive. Like I wasn't going in there trying to knock Dave Brown out. I was going in there to just survive it, try to get a few shots in, you know, with my strength, which that's how I fought, you know, very strategic and maybe boring for some compared to, you know, just grabbing on and trying to knock the guy out. But I couldn't do that against guys Sean's size. So I used my strength in my brain to survive it. Now there was times where I went toe to toe with guys, but how do you go toe to toe with the Stu Grimson with when he's got arms twice as long as me, right? It's like you got you got to you got to outthink them, and they want to knock your face off, and that's how I survived it. And I just I so anxious, um, sleepless nights. You know, I I say this: the last enjoyable game I had was probably in minor hockey because every time from then I could fight in practice, I could fight every time I go out to play. Right, they registered me at 124 pro fights. Now, Sean's probably had twice as many as that, but it, it, some people have never had a bare knuckle fight in their life, you know. And I had to go to bed at night knowing that I was getting up, going playing in Chicago against Mike Peluso, six six, Stu Grimson, six six, Dave Manson on the point, um, whoever else was there. And then when after that game, we're on our way to Detroit. Right, you know, I don't have to tell you who was there, Kosher and Probert, and these guys waiting for you. And I, and let's not forget, I got 99 on my team. So they had Marty, they had Jay Miller, they had me at times. Jeff Chickham was there, who was tough. I know he played to your Flyers. And this is where you're going. Okay, if I get my ass kicked, they're going to bring somebody else up, and I'm back in the minors. And that was when you talked, Cal, about anxiety and and just it. It was a it was a you know, which drove me into my post career and flirted with some during my career of major, major drug use and depression, mental health, all these things we didn't even know about, right? We didn't know about them at all. And, and that's, and like, I'm, what I want to get into you, get in with you is your thought on the whole, the whole thing with the NHL and, and the lawsuits and stuff that players, have against the NHL. Now, only because we're, we're talking about it right now is why I'm bringing it up. Me and you have visions, different, different visions when it comes to the physical part of the game moving forward. But we also agree on a lot of things. Now, I believe that there was no protection for the players in that era of when this happened every game. There was no protection. There was no guidance. There was no coaching. I've got into it with a few of my guests that played the role. And the best way for me to say it, Jimmy, was, bro, there was two guys on every team in the NHL all the way up until about 2010. Wouldn't you agree? 100%, sometimes three. Okay. So now there's two guys. Or, hold on. Hold on. If we're talking about Philadelphia, six yeah. or seven. <laughs> seven. Okay. So now, Jimmy, 
especially you, because you've you've had the, the AHL, IHL, NHL experience. You, you played in multiple pro leagues. In these pro leagues, you got a head coach, assistant coach, a, a defenseman coach, a faceoff coach, a goalie coach. You got a special teams coach. You have the guy that does the video. There's a video coach. There's all these coaches, right? When we played, that that we were seeing, and and and, and you know the, the 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 weight training coach, you know all this stuff, right? What about for the guys that play the role? There was no coaches, man. There was no help. There was nothing. So like, what if what if there was Jimmy? What if there was a guy like you on every NHL team that? not called the tough guy coach, but another assistant coach that oversaw the guys that had to play the role because it was a huge part of the game. My idea was if a player reached about five, maybe 10 majors, let's say five majors, he would then qualify for a certain type of insurance because he's risking his body more than his teammate. And he's at a greater risk not only because he's getting blows to the head and over time that can cause damage, but he's also at greater risk of his career ending right now because he's deciding to drop the mitts. Because it was a career-ending possibility, Jimmy, every time we dropped the mitts. Yeah. Do you, do you agree with, with, with those points? I agree with them 100%. And if I took you back to 2000 and... I'm, I think it was 11. I came out and said, take fighting out of the game because it's killing the enforcer. And this is after John Cordick. This is like, you know, there's no I'll goal scorer dying. At, yeah, like there's an enforcer dying all the time, right? Rick yeah. Rippin, it could be suicide. It could be Bob Probert in a heart attack, whatever the case may be. I should have died a few times, you know, the, the amount of drugs I put through my system post-career. And at that point... You know, that's when Don Cherry came out and called me a puke, a turncoat, and a hypocrite on Hockey Night in Canada, and he added Stu Grimson and Chris Nyland in there. They, they didn't say anything. It was me. But where I'm going with this, Sean and Kyle, is this. You know, when we find out later in life, you know, smoking's going to kill you probably. You know, both of my brothers died of cancer. My parents died of cancer. They smoked and drank their whole life. Science tells us something's going to happen. Science also tells us, as Sean was saying, a guy Sean's size punching a guy square in the brain and, and make no, I watch some of these fight with your, I watch your fights and I'm just, I'm, 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 um, first of all, you're a tough, tough man. When I see Moraski and these guys just great square to the bossy, these guys down in the minors and they did just swinging it out. And I'm just watching them. You guys get hit. So back to your point. Where was, <laughs> where was the coaching or the insurance or the, you know, the, the, the benefit to this gladiator lifestyle, right? There was now, nothing. Now, my only rebuttal to that whole thing is, and, and I agree 100% with Sean here, there needed to be a guy not necessarily training these guys how to fight because these guys were doing everything in their power to be the best fighters on the ice. That was their job, and they wholeheartedly took to it. But just a guy looking out for these guys, going, hey, man, you took a pretty hard punch. Are, are you all right? Like, there was none of that. It was a tap on the shoulder pads. Get back out there. You know, uh -oh. so, so while I agree, uh, there was also this rapid shift 
in the NHL, like you, you had you had big guys that could fight, right? And then you had big, bigger guys that that was their entire job. That was it. There was no other job. Let's be honest. They weren't very good at hockey. Like when it when it flipped and then you had these big, huge guys like Derek Bugard, God rest his soul. These guys were literally trying to kill each other. That was their yeah. job. And they're so massive. Like that is the point where it flipped from, okay, we're sticking up for our teammates. Okay, you know, there's a random scrap in the corner to, okay, we're coming into this game. We're fighting no matter what. We may be fighting twice tonight, and we don't care how your head feels afterwards. Like, that's where I think the NHL really lost, like, lost a big opportunity to take the role and not necessarily, like, preserve it, but morph it into more of a, a role that could have stayed in hockey whereas it kind of phased its way out due to the injuries, due to the, the, the massive amount of concussions and et cetera. You know, I want to see you guys ever see Tony Twist's interview. Well, he's done a yeah. few, but his mentality was when he came out of his mouth, I, I could kill a guy and he could kill a guy. The power that that man had and the punch yeah. that he threw and he said, if I, like, he went in like, uh, you know, I'm almost, I just heard you say about Sean. You guys went to say, I am going to beat this guy up. Tony Twist was going into saying, I want to put this guy in the hospital. Like, you know, and he could. You know, there was, you know, arguably nobody punched harder than Tony Twist with the, just, just the way he was hitting guys. Yeah. And, you know, he wanted to hurt you. That is scary. So, Kyle, back to what you're saying. Yeah, this whole, you know, devastation of of the, um, you know, this role did take another loop. Back in, back in you know, I, I look at the Semenko to Tim Hunter days. They go out, right? They do their thing. They protect their teammates. They would fight. But it turned into, the, you know, the I remember John Cordick was the first guy to have Velcro on his sleeves. So when they grab his left, the whole sleeve would come off, right? I did it in New Jersey, and they took my sweater off my back. I got into a fight in St. Louis, and I I tried the Velcro, right? Because I'm thinking, okay, if they're doing it, everybody's doing it. So yeah. you know, the, I got into a fight. My 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 sleeves are flopping in the wind, and whoever was in charge of the game, I had to put a different jersey on. Dave Brown with the tight sleeve on his left, with Vaseline all over his arm. So you see some of these things when you're going, you know, so. I don't know if I've gotten off topic here, but we turned no, it no, into no. we turned it into how bad can I beat Jim Thompson up from the LA Kings? That's what it <laughs> became, right? Like that's really what it became. These massive monster men, and and that was what kept me up at night, you know, knowing that I'd have to fight a guy like Sean, and knowing that I was actually going to fight him, not just to 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 survive, but not to get knocked out, not to get you know, like all these things that float in your head. And then guess what? Two bottles of wine and some pills and whatever, whatever else. And then coffee the next day with Sudafeds and you're wired for sound, right? So, yeah. and me, I was, I was a basket case. I was anxiety. I was, I was like, I, you know, when we're supposed to go to bed in the afternoon for pregame nap, I would be in the lobby shaking, shaking. I, I didn't want to keep my roommate up because I was so freaking anxiety and, and stressed out about going into the saddle dome and fighting Craig Berube and whoever, you know, Tim Hunter and all these 
like it just it was uh, it was a circus game after game for me. So it was it was tough on me internally. But at the same time, Jimmy, you probably played in the toughest era, don't you think? I would I think- say my era I was pretty tough and I say the era before it in the seventies, and that was crazier. The you know the, the obviously the Philadelphia yeah. Flyer, Boston, the, the bench <laughs> yeah. clearing brawls. Like I don't know how more guys didn't get seriously hurt in those bench clearing brawls. We had a few in in the eighties, right? I'm not saying we didn't, um, but uh, yeah, it was a tough era. It was because every every fourth line, just both fourth lines came over, and I know you experienced this in the minors, Sean. Yeah, it's like okay, you know, it wasn't even a question. You line up beside Sue Grimson. You know, step back and fight, right? And and you know, put your seatbelt on because the next shift, Mike Peluso's coming out, and that's just the way it was. So, know? so strictly as a fan of the game, speaking here, I yeah. absolutely loved watching it. Yeah, like I absolutely loved watching it. Now, I I a hundred percent understand why that definitely took it a, a great toll on the players performing the act. But I, I'm definitely not in favor of I, – I don't exactly like the idea that these fourth lines are, are huge and that that's literally their job. You see them go out there and the whole stadium stands up because they know what's coming. But I still like the idea of fighting in hockey because sometimes like it's absolutely needed. Somebody decks a player from behind. Somebody takes a cheap shot. Somebody swings their stick the wrong way. It needs to be addressed and it, it – it oftentimes is missed or not addressed by the officials. That's the type of fighting I, I absolutely love in the game more than the big heavyweights lining up and going toe to toe as, as entertaining as it was to watch the emotional fight is so much better as a fan for coming from a fan. And, I agree and with you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Oh no, no, Jimmy, you're the special guest, buddy. I, I, I say this, you know, I go back to Vincent LeCavier and Jerome McGinley in the Stanley Cup final back when Tampa played um, Calgary. And you got two superstars, and they swung it out. And it, it, just as you say, Cal, that oh, was yeah. that was a, just, a, you know, a, an unbelievable scene, right? But, you know, I, 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 one of the things I don't like, and I want to comment, I want you guys to tell me what you think. Sean lays a clean hit on me. Sean hits me clean, hard but clean. And you got two guys going after Sean who aren't even fighters. Like they just, what bothers me is some of these guys don't even know the role. And just because they're team, I get it sticking up to your teammates, but it's like you can't even lay a hard hit anymore in the NHL because you got this pack of wolves coming to, to me that makes back. We get, we would get hammered. Scott Stevens and Dave Manson and some of these guys. And there was that we just played, you know what I mean? That's I think, yeah. I think a large part of it yeah. actually falls in the league's lap. Their mismanagement of the big hits. Um, some say uh, Rutu would hit somebody, absolutely annihilate somebody, and get ten game suspension. But oh, then yeah. you watch somebody who scores thirty goals lay that same hit on somebody else, and it's a slap on the wrist and a five thousand dollar fine. So I, 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 we all played the sport. Um, some of us still play the sport. So you understand how fast the sport moves. I think a lot of the going after a player, especially now in the NHL, a lot of going after the player is it's just moving so fast that you hear the hit, you see your guy down, and you just react more than, 
oh, you know, that was a clean hit. Now I got to go beat up that guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Comes comes back to uh, Felino in um, the Tavares, if you remember, in the playoffs, right? Yeah. Right. You know, that is, that's the perfect example, Kyle, because yeah. he didn't know what happened. And, you know, when he came out to fight uh, Perry, uh, yeah, I was just like, come on. Like, it was an accident. Like, But, but at, the, you're at, right. at the same time, Perry, you know, honestly, I thought Perry and Felino both handled that extraordinarily well as two grown men. Perry lined up with them, asked them, hey. You want to go for that? I kind of have to hold you accountable. And Felino said, "Yeah, let's agree let's with you. Stop agree, with you one, agree, agree with you one hundred percent." I think if Felino said no and there wasn't a fight there, nobody would be saying anything. Yeah. So you know what I mean? Because everybody's yeah. seen the hit, and I think it was a respectful ask. Like, hey, listen, we kind of have to squash this nail, or this game could get out of control. And two grown men went at it. They squashed it. Nobody got hurt. The game continued on. Yeah. The other thing, yeah, yeah, no, no, and, and Jimmy, like, I want to add to your, to your, you know, to your point of, like, like, like taking the fighting out, and and I, I want to compare it to like society in general and sports. I find are very connected. Now, do you remember when when we were younger, we could have buddies where their dad smacks them around. And we know that. We know that that's the friend when we go over to their place. Sometimes we see the dad hitting him and his siblings. And, you know, that stuff happens sometimes, right? Yeah. And, 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 and it was accepted. Now, if a parent does that, he might be spending a night in jail and CIS is going to get a call. 100%. So society has changed. In hockey, whenever there was a fight that broke out, everyone on the ice would grab a guy. This is like, you know, 20, 30 years ago, right? Yep. It wasn't yep. just a fight on the ice. Every, not, there wouldn't be five fights. I mean, you know how it was. Everyone yep. grabbed their guy and, and, you know, and then their fight, and then maybe it gets out of hand and whatever. Now we have the 24-hour news cycle. We got the nonstop. Sometimes I, I have Sportsnet on our TSN, and, and I have to change it because I keep hearing the same thing over and over again. Like every 10 minutes, it's almost like they're doing the highlights of the games. They couldn't show that stuff every 10 minutes. You know what I mean? Like, like it wouldn't be accepted, that type of violence and, and stuff. Oh, yeah. So no, no, no. I understand why the role's been diminished. I understand why the world is more aware of concussions and how dangerous it is and, 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 and that there's no protection for the players. There's no insurance. There's nothing for them. So then why should they do that? Why should they damage their brains if they're not being protected at all? You know what I mean? So I get all that. Now, I know that you asked David Branch to consider that, that, that rule. Do you find that it should start at the junior level before it gets to the NHL, or are you are you saying right across the board all at the same time? So back, it's a great question, Sean. Back in 2011, where I came out publicly, and I took a beating. Eh? I had guys who were playing really, really bad mouthing me. You know, how could this guy be saying this? You know, he's costing me a living. Blah blah blah. And then you know, I went through a shitstorm. So start up here, protect the brain protect the athlete, protect the young man. And I said this, 
you can still have fighting in hockey. But like baseball, basketball, football, if you fight, you're kicked out. You can still fight. Cal and I can still drop the gloves and have a Donnybrook, but guess what? We hit the shower. And that's all I was saying. You'll never take fighting out of life, you know. Uh, but in to for, Sean, you're you're you can have three fights as you know, and how much damage is done in those three fights. And then guess what? We have three games in three weekends, and you might have seven fights in those three games. And I have to think about your body. I have to think about your head. And I have to think about all these young guys who felt like me, who maybe really not liking it and I just spoke for myself I just spoke to say you know what I I spoke the truth for me and that's what I said you know the guys like Kelly Chase and that what came after me I said listen my parents both smoked they smoked in movie theaters they smoked in airplanes they smoked in restaurants then we find out things the health you know it's going to kill you well as we're finding out more about CT and, and brain damage from blows to the head I'd have to think Taking the knuckles off the brain is going to help young men have a better life uh, moving forward. My whole thing was, you know, I got ringing in my ear for probably the last, I don't even know how many years, 10, 15 years. And eight concussions, you know, my, my, I'm getting older, but, you know, memory and, and all these things that are happening to me um, are happening. You know, as we talk tonight, I got constant ringing in my ear and, I, and it won't go away. So I know that's from being, you know, hit, being, you know, concussed, whatever. So why continue it with the speed and the strength of these guys today? You know, when you mentioned Derek Bugard, that man could kill somebody if he hit him properly. He was so big and powerful. Like he could. Shattered Todd Fedor's face. Yes, he did. And, you know, I, 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 I get into debates. I don't like to get in debates because, but, you know, who's the toughest of all time? I don't think if you had a if you had a four out of seven series, you know you got Bob Probert up there and Tony Twist. That's six eleven on skates, two hundred and fifty pounds, and then probably the strongest guy in the history of the NHL. Who wants to fight Zidane Char seven times? You know when we talk about a man that can really, really devastate you. So again, I'm kind of getting off topic, but what I'm saying no, to you here is I just felt. These young guys get knocked out. And we had a guy here that got killed on the ice in the senior game with the Whippy Dunlops, Don Sanderson. You know, he got in a fight, fell down, yeah. hit his head, and died. Well, it does yeah. happen. It does yeah. happen. So, very my rarely, own, but it does happen. My only argument um, about banning, like against banning fighting, is you already have so many cheap shots in this league on a daily basis. And the league itself fumbles them constantly. The the Department of Player Safety, I mean, just look at their track record. It's all over the place. It's 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 a running joke on Twitter that these guys just roll the dice, spin the board. You have no idea who's getting what or for how long. Like, and I, I feel like if you ban fighting, the concussions and the head injuries that are going to be coming from high late hits are going to be just as bad if not worse than the fighting in the in the game so i definitely am not in favor whatsoever of banning fighting in the league and and what they did do was they made it harder to have a guy that the teams are so competitive now you can't just have a fourth liner 
that his job is to just fight. Like nobody has that anymore. Everybody has a job on the team and has to play a regular shift. You not you don't have the guys that come out for thirty seconds anymore. So I do think that they curbed a lot of that. But I still think the emotional fight, the sticking up for your teammate, even the hey, my team's down. Do, do you want to go for a, a round? I, I still think that belongs in the game. We've seen it swing momentum on countless times. We, we've seen people need to have somebody come to their defense. We've seen some rats in the league that have to get tuned up. That has to stay. Banning <laughs> fighting is not really the answer, in my personal opinion. Well, don't ban it, but to curve it, you get one fight and you're gone. You're not well, banning it. so It's already... Not- but it's already almost at that point, if you honestly think about it. I, I don't think you need to make a rule that if you get into a fight, you're kicked out of the game because emotional fights happen. You yeah. Nobody nobody in their right mind after the Vinny LaCavier-Jerome McGinley fight went, both of them should be kicked out of the game. No, that would have taken away from the series if 100%. you did that. I, 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 it's a great, you're making great points. My whole thing was, when a guy would just go out, fight three times, hit the dressing room, how much damage is done to that opponent, to this opponent, that's what my points were. So, you know, I, I'm not going to back up on what I said. I just feel the game is so fast, it's so beautiful, and there's so many cameras now, and I'll agree with you, Kyle, do a better job, you know, the the Tom Wilson thing on um, from the Rangers. I always said, what if that was McDavid or Crosby? Would he have gotten suspended? I would have to think so, wouldn't he have? Right? But, but at the whatever... same time, don't jump on somebody's back and expect not to get slammed. That's my personal opinion. <laughs> honey, honey, listen, again, we're watching a situation where Tom Wilson's a powerful, powerful man that took advantage a little bit of this situation. Absolutely. I'm only I'm only going off of this. So how it all work how yeah, there's a lot of guilt in that whole thing, so I'm not pointing great at Tom Wilson. But if that was Crosby or McDavid that he ragdolled like that and put the stick under his throat in that, would he have been suspended? You the one that said about the player safety perils, to me would have suspended him. And you wouldn't have had that Donnie Brooks the next night, right? So but anyway, yeah. We can agree to disagree. I think the game is beautiful. I I agree with you, Kyle, that when two there's an emotional fight. I'm a fan I'm a fan. See, until I started to have to do it, right? I love watching Samanko and Tim Hunter, Samanko and Ron DeLorme back in the Vancouver days. Like I was, Samanko was my favorite player at that point, right? But then all of a sudden, you know, you 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 become Sean or myself, and I didn't I didn't have much fun after that, right? So that's just me. That's that's my DNA. So would you? So now I'm. Sorry, Kyle. Go ahead. Would you say that the direction that the league has taken since? 2000, I'd say 2008 and on, kind of phasing out that role is more of what you were looking for when you made your comments in 2011? 100%. 100%. I, I remember a fight between Aaron Ashram and, and uh, Beagle from Washington. And he hit him and he put him down and he was bleeding and, and it was ugly. And I just was looking at it going, that's somebody's son. You know, that that's a boy laying on the ice, bleeding, you know, Nick Kiprios and Vandenbush. There's some bad situations, and I just felt they're gonna the the bigger and stronger these guys get. And Tony, I'll go back to Tony Twist, Joey Kosher. These men could severely, severely hurt somebody. They became almost too much, right? 
And, uh, you know, I'm a rookie in, in Binghamton. And Joey Kosher got into a fight with a guy named Ed Kostelik. I don't know if you remember Big Eddie. He was a big right winger, tough guy. Oh, yeah. And Eddie wore the big Cooper. Yeah. Joe Kosher hit his helmet, guys. And the plastic went both ways. The big, and I just went, okay, because you hear about this. But anyway, you know, there's lots of stories like that. But, yeah, so when I came out, I was looking at curving the violence of the game and letting the game be beautiful. The Olympics, the playoffs, it's beautiful hockey, you know, just, I, I just wanted to see the violence go away. I just didn't, you know what it bothered me? It was seeing these young players get really seriously hurt. And that, like that started. Stretchnikov versus Ovechkin. That, he asked for that. I'm sorry, see there, I'm kind of a hypocrite now, but you know, he po- picked his poison there, but just, just the fact that I don't want to see, you know, the long-term effects after careers, we see what's going on in football, you know, these lawsuits, Sean mentioned it earlier on. And I never got involved in it. I could have. And I'll tell you why I didn't. Because the NHL gave me my life. And I was asked to get involved, and I said, no, I'm not going to do it. Because I, I felt I knew what I was doing. Yes, they should have. Sean, you said it. They should have given us more direction, more safety, more, more insurance. But guess what? I signed up for that, and I would do anything to live out my dream, and I did that. So I, I stayed away from the lawsuit. I hear you. Now, Jimmy, as a guy that that played the role, like I'm talking about myself, I'm, I'm hearing both your points, right? And to me, what it is, is Jim Thompson doesn't want to ban fighting. But what you want to do is you want to ban the designated fighter. Is that more what it is? A guy that's just there to do that, where he gets in three fights in one night and just, and just skates off? That's what I want to ban. You want you want that six six guy to intimidate, and I go back to this: have him. But fight. All other sports, all other sports. If you fight, you're kicked out of the game. If you throw a punch in basketball, you're out. Baseball, you're out. That's what I wanted to see. If you want to fight, fight. But you're going to have to hit the showers early, and that's it. And then so, that way, it wouldn't eliminate. The Le Cavier again, the well, what other great it would, because now these stars can't get into it at all with each other because they know they're going to be thrown out of the game. So Not you're as taking, much. You're taking a, a huge aspect out of the game. True, well, no, Kyle, absolutely. Not as much, but it will happen if it has to happen. Like it's going to happen, right? I but, just think, I just think that instead of Le Cavier and you install this rule, right? And instead of Lacavier and Aginla dropping the gloves, having a tilly, going to the box for five minutes, then coming back out, I'm pretty sure they both had points in that game afterwards. I'm pretty. Sure. I I I, you... I go deeper. Sorry, Kyle. I go deeper, and and this is where because I'm involved now in minor hockey. I'm involved in so deep into the roots of what's going on in our sport. Hockey registration in North America is down and here in Aurora, this is a freaky stat. We're down 300 registered, registered hockey players this year. You can blame it on COVID. You can blame it on what price people don't account afford it. All these things come into play. But when I start hearing the parents pulling their kids out because of the violence, that's where it starts to bother me because without kids playing hockey, we don't want this sport 
to be affected because you know what? Yes, you got your AAA teams. They'll always be there. But is everything else going to dry up? Now what's big here in, in um, Ontario is non-contact leagues. So if you want to play midget, you can play in a non-contact league because kids are tired of getting hurt. So I just want to see hockey grow. The sport that we, uh, the three of us love here, it's sinking and sinking and sinking. People don't understand minor hockey is getting pounded right now because parents are pulling their kids out. And a lot of it, because I talk to them, a lot of it has to do with what they see on TV. A lot of it has to do with the violence. Obviously, the concussion thing now that's come out in the last 10 years, this is all making parents say, you know what, my kid's going to do this instead. So make no mistake, guys, there's a fear factor there of how minor hockey enrollment is it's down big time. And with COVID, much more now. Yeah, so but if you're... Kind of, if, if we're talk if we're talking about concussions, you know the majority of concussions come from hits in hockey, and you're gonna ban hitting in hockey. Now you take this beautiful sport and you make it figure skating, and I'm not for that. Like, <laughs> I'm not for that either. I'm not for that either. Keep the if, hard hitting in, the keep the aggressiveness in, but if we can take an element out to make our sport better and safer, listen. UFC is a vicious, vicious game. It's a vicious sport. And you have to be really, you know, uh, wired for that sport. Okay. I think we all in our own way love to see a good scrap. I told you that. I, I'm not. And I'm not human nature. Say, it's human nature, right? When you see the bully getting picking on somebody, he gets his ass kicked. It's a beautiful thing sometimes. But all I'm saying is in the sport that I love, I just wanted to see the, the knuckles off the brain. And just, you know, keep keep everything else going, right? The big hits and all that. But take that element off because I just was seeing too much young men laying on the ice, knocked out, bleeding all from different spots. And it was becoming more frequent because of the power and the strength of guys. Now, I understand your point 100%. And I honestly sympathize with, the, with your point 100%. But I, I feel that if you create that rule that we've been discussing – the hits are going to get cheaper because they know that there's no repercussion for it other than the league maybe or maybe not taking action. Like until that gets sorted out, I, agree. I don't I, agree. I don't think that that's the right course of action. So I was asked, how do you police it? Well, nothing is you with the cameras in the building now, especially at the highest level, you're not getting away with anything. If that's not going to be policed properly, then we have an issue. But that's something that they got to figure out, you know, whether it's George Peros or, you know, the, the what you're doing, how you're suspending, all these different things. But anything done to Crosby, McDavid, Austin Matthews, you know, um, just the best players in the world, it's going to be seen on, on a camera. I wanted to add to a couple of, of both of your points. Now, as an older guy now, Jimmy, myself, like I'm, I'm now learning like a lot more about the game, like, like just how like you being involved with the whole Aurora thing and like you're able to actually be almost like a student of the game again, learning how it is from, from the grassroots, right? And, yeah. and I'm learning similar things just with, you know, because a lot of my buddies are coaches now and, and stuff like that. Now, what I learned in the last two weeks is that in Arizona, 
they now, you know how you said no hitting leagues up here? So in Arizona, they're actually making it a rule in minor hockey that you, you can just angle the guy off and rub him out. And, and, and you're not even allowed to, to, to lay a hard hit. And if you do, you're, they're giving out two-minute roughing penalties, right? So now, when I first heard that, I was like, man, what is going on here, right? The way the game's going, though, Jimmy, and, and I, I think this is where your head's at. The way the game's going, it's almost like it's an advantage for the player to be able to do that. Austin Matthews gets away with stick checks and is actually pretty good at it. It frustrates the heck out of me because of the way that I had to play. But this guy is getting the puck away from other players without even hitting them. I, know, I don't even amazing. know how he's doing it. It's amazing. It, it, it's a new way to play, right? And so, okay, an ex-player that had to play the role... Now, I'm looking at this, and I'm like, okay, so what's right and what's wrong? But it's not really about that. It, it's about what's going to get the most players involved from where we're from. What's going to grow the game the most? What's going to, you know what I mean? What are the positives with it, right? Mm-hmm. So I hear both your points. There has to be a, a, a median. You're not eliminating the fighting, but, 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 but you want to give a game misconduct. Guys are going to have to be pretty careful when they, when they do it, right? But they're still able to do it. And, and I hear what you're saying. That, that league up in Quebec would have to, would, would have to fold, <laughs> right? And, and, I, and, I totally, and I totally see because it's, it's, it, it is very dangerous, Jimmy. Oh, it's dangerous. Okay? It's dangerous. Right? Yeah. It's dangerous. Right? Yeah. So now this is all, this is all you know, all, um, you know, we're serious talk and all that kind of stuff. And I want to get back to that. But just, man, I, I, I'm, I'm looking at my notes and I'm just too excited. So I, I have to throw it out now, Jimmy. Now, the timeline we were on before was when you're on the Marlies and cracked into the NHL. I want to know about the goal versus Balfour, but your first NHL goal in the Chicago Stadium, man. Can you tell us about that, buddy? Yeah, so... Chicago Stadium, you know, your very first time there, any player will tell you. So the national anthem, they scream. Like, it's just it's unbelievable. Um, so smaller rink, big Chicago Blackhawks team, right? And uh, so I'm a rookie in Washington. And I don't remember getting, getting I don't remember the goal. Uh, I got the puck in the slot and Poland snap just as Dave Manson headshots me. and yeah and I was knocked out on my feet but I went down and I I was like I don't remember and all the guys were I'll never forget it all the guys were over top of me you know my first goal kind of thing right so I didn't see that later till that night in the hotel on the news and they ended up winning 7-2 so my first goal on Ed Balfour was um, a beautiful thing for me because it was your first NHL goal but I I got cranked cranked you know it's a massive headshot that's one guy that sometimes isn't mentioned when you're mentioning when people are trying to explain how tough some of those Chicago teams were, man. Dave, Dave Manson, Manson, big Dave Manson. He was a scary dude. Better keep scary. your head off, right? Well, there's there's guys. Listen, there's guys who are just tough, but there's guys who are scary. 
you know, Marty McSorley, you never knew what he was going to do, as you saw with Brasher and some other guys. Like Marty, when he snapped, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Mike Bullard the other day. Uh, he works out in Caledonia for the junior team there. And I'll never forget it. The Oilers were playing the Flames, and it was game three of the, you know, the conference final or whatever they were playing, their division final. And Mike Bullard was skating to the Calgary bench, and Marty spears him. Like, I'm talking speared him right in the groin. Marty ended up getting three games in the playoffs back then in the 80s. But that was the guys that you talk about what could snap and actually do something that could really hurt you, right? And I'll go back to the minors. Back then in the AHL, <laughs> you never knew it was coming. It was it was dangerous. Some of those guys, you know, Bennett Wolf and Archie Henderson, some of these guys, Val James was in St. Catharines. These are guys that wanted to chew you up. <laughs> What, you played against get, Val hey, James, we'll, too, eh? Oh, yeah. We'll get to the Hershey Bears, man. Going into Hershey, the chocolate factory. Daryl Stanley, Craig Berube, Don Knockbauer, Jeff Chikrin. Like, the list went on and on. Like, when I tell you, not only Philadelphia was tough. I'll tell you a funny story, because I know you're a Flyer fan. I see the orange. But I'm a rookie in Washington, right? And they didn't want Scott Stevens fighting. So there there I am, wearing number 29 with the Jofa, playing the role, right? I've got the Vaseline on my face. <laughs> and Philadelphia, they... they 29, they got Dave, eh? They got Dave Brown. They got, you know, I, they, I could go on. I just mentioned a whole bunch of the names, right? So Brownie's out there, and he's screwing around and doing something. Brian Murray had a list. I don't know if you guys are the late Brian Murray, my first NHL coach. But so anyways... I'm sitting on the bench in the Philadelphia Forum uh, or Philadelphia Spectrum and Brian Murray grabs me by the shirt and he starts yelling at Brownie. He's like, Brownie! Brownie, you keep it up. I got Thompson here. I got Thompson here, right? Ready to go. <laughs> you guys, you have no idea. I'm going, what am I doing here? Like, yeah, like Dave Brown at that time, you know, it's him and Prover, the toughest guys in the league. And he looks over, he goes, who the F is Thompson? Like, who are you, what are you talking about, right? And I sit there going, where's the trailer park? Where, right? But it just, just memories of that arena, you know, the spectrum, Kate, Kate Smith, Fred Shiro. You know, back in those, uh, Philadelphia is my favorite team. Bernie Perrant, you know, Bobby Clark and all that era, right? Playing Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito. But then to go in the spectrum was an unbelievable surreal moment to see those black and orange jerseys and those big men. Like, because they're always big. Philadelphia is always huge, no matter what. So there was a whole nother, uh experience in my lifetime, right? But yeah, that was, uh, Philadelphia was a tough place to play. And the fans are absolutely nuts. If you don't oh, get yeah. beat up by the, if you don't get beat up by the players, there's a good chance the fans yeah, gonna jump over the boards. Yeah, yeah. Listen to this story. So a friend of mine is a doctor. So remember the Jeremy Roenick winning goal against Eddie Balfour, at least in Philadelphia. Yeah. Remember Game Six. Okay. So whatever game was in Philadelphia, my doctor buddy and his buddy were going to the, were driving to Philadelphia to go to the game. And I told him, I said, don't be wearing your Leaf jersey. Ah, stop it, stop it. True story. So he's sitting in the stands, and some big guy behind him, a couple rows, said, hey, buddy, take your jersey off. And they're laughing, thinking it's that. Well, he got open hand, broke his eardrum from behind, smacked him, eh? Said, I told you to take your effing jersey off. And took the jersey off, ended up having to go to the hospital, right? Broken eardrum. So you don't, <laughs> you just don't. And it was just the way it was there. Like what you just said, Kyle, like 
they they love their flyers and aggressive yeah i mean so violence at its best in those places you know what they call that in scarborough it's called a defas oh yeah it makes you, it makes you deaf yeah right defas man yeah oh, man yeah. that's that's a crazy story right there now my favorite player growing up was Wayne Gretzky. I don't know about you. Now, when you got to L.A., what what were you thinking? And what a year to be on L.A. You guys well, made a run all yeah. the way to the final. Yeah, well, I actually played the full year the year before. I'm the only player. I hold my own record in the NHL. I'm the only player to go in three expansion drafts. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, so I I signed with L.A. Right. Um, I'm going to tell you a quick story, and you'll appreciate this, Sean. So I was a free agent out of New Jersey, and Detroit had lost a lot of their toughness. So Detroit wanted to sign me, and my agent said that's the place to go because you got a great chance of staying up instead of being sent down. Yeah. So there's Boston, Winnipeg, and Detroit. So I agreed to a contract with Detroit. I was in Edmonton for the summer. And the next day, my agent called and said, L.A. matched it, but it's a bad choice because they had McSorley, Jay Miller, Chikrin, a lot of toughness, right? And I said, because I grew up in Edmonton, right? I said, no. I said, I want to sign in L.A. I want to play with Gretzky because he was my idol, right? Wow. So he, he, he completely told me, you're making a bad decision here. You're going to end up in New Haven or Phoenix. They split teams there. Sure enough, got sent down to New Haven. But guess what? I found a way, got called up. And uh, one of the games that kept me up, we played in Chicago. I fought Grimson and Peluso the same game. Uh, we ended up winning the game 3-1, to one, so I was a big part of that. And then another game, uh, got a game winner. So just lightning in a bottle, if you will. So my whole thing was back then when he was saying, don't sign there, I had to play. I, don't, I wanted to play with Wayne Gretzky. And don't forget, growing up then, they had Huddy, they had... Uh, Krushniski was there for a while. Yeri Curry, who came from Philadelphia. Um, McSorley, right? A whole bunch of the Oilers were there. So it was a dream for me. Yeah, dude. And I mean, I didn't even realize, Jimmy. I'm sorry, because I, like, I, I'm always mentioning them as a stack guy. But you had a hell of a year before that finals run. Like, you played a lot of games that season. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You had 200 yeah. pim. Yeah, I... I... Quietly went about my business, and and yeah. um, you know it was my biggest NHL year for sure. And yeah. you know I'm I'm there with my eye. Like, listen, just to be in the same space as Wayne Gretzky, you say he's your favorite player. I got to spend just over two years with him, and it was an experience that I'll never I cherish forever because he was such. I always say he's a better player. Or sorry, a better father in person than he was a hockey player. What made him special, guys? He would come in the dressing room and he would take the fourth liners and make them feel like Gary Curry or, or, or Tony Granato. He was special at bringing everybody from the bottom to the top. And that was what I loved about him because it wasn't he'd walk in and sit beside all the superstars, Thomas Sanchez over here. He'd come sit beside us and take us out for dinner, right? Just He included us and that was special, man. Wow. I've actually never heard those type of details about the great one. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah, he was he was a master at making everybody feel equal. Wow. Yeah. Right on. 
Yeah. And he was obviously pretty good at it. Yeah, he was, you know, um, just, you know, he just had a way about knowing how to work the room. He knew how to work a crowd to make everybody feel special. And that was what made him special. And it wasn't an act like, you know, how he's a unique, genuine Canadian boy. But, you know, he would come and sit between you two like he would go sit between Mario and, and Paul Coffey, if you will. Right. Yeah. Just, All while kind of being special. the greatest player who ever played the game. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the whole point. And that's what, you know, you sit there and go, wow. You know, like this guy is so special. And, you know, it's just he's a special Canadian boy. <laughs> Very special Canadian boy. Yeah. All right. Another exciting story I got to bring up of, of when I was reading. My second favorite player is probably the Super Mario. Yeah. The magnificent one, right? I, I read a little article that you, uh, you had to shadow that man. So it's like this. I've been in the minors for a year and a half. You you were in it. Ironically, we're playing in Hershey. So I don't know if you remember, Kyle, they had a 50 goal scorer. His name was Ross Fitzpatrick playing in Hershey. So unbeknownst to me, they had me covering him over the weekend. We played two games and he got a couple of assists on the power play, but I kept him scoreless and I could not fight. They sent Bruby out all their different guys to fight me because, you know, I'm pissing off their goal scorer. So anyway, Sunday, all the brass from Washington are, they'd always stand off to the side by the bus when we come out and get on the bus. And if you were, if you ever got called over, you knew you were getting called up because otherwise it'd just say good game, Jim, right? They didn't, wasn't a lot of um, mingling that night. I got called over and they said, uh, great weekend. And we're going to call you up to play against Pittsburgh tomorrow night, Monday night in cap center. So this is my dream. Like, this is it. This is my first NHL game. So I drove back to Washington with the late uh, Warren Stralo, their goalie coach. Went to practice in the morning, right? Because you knew the guys from training camp. So anyways, uh, I get called into the coach's office after the game. Or sorry, after the pregame skate. And Brian Murray said, are you nervous? And I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I thought I was going up to fight Jay Caulfield or whoever they had there, right? And... Yeah. Uh, I said, no, I actually feel pretty good. And then Brian or uh, David Poyle, the GM, goes, well, he said, you did such a good job on Ross Fitzpatrick. He said, we're going to have you cover Merrill Lemieux tonight. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, yeah. True, true story. And, and I went, okay. How do you feel about that, Jim? I said, I feel like I can do this. So my very first NHL game, I covered the great one, or the magnificent one. And what happened was Brian had a deal with, he said, I don't care where he goes, you stay with him. Like, you just shadow him, piss him off. So, you know, I, I did a great job for a period and three quarters. And then Kevin Hatcher got the puck wide. Kelly, Middle, Kelly Miller was going, we have a three on one. And what do I do? I leave him. So I leave him. And Kevin Hatcher goes to give me a pass. It gets blocked and all this. Mario lifting a stick and going the other way on a breakaway did not score. And once we were, we, we were up in the game, they ended up coming back winning five, four, but he did not get a point that game. So I'll speed the story up. I was doing some work with Ottawa and I was in the Ottawa alumni box and we're playing Pittsburgh in the playoffs a few years ago. So I said to my wife, I said, I got to go down and say hi to him. 
So he's got security outside his box, and he allowed me to come in. And I said, hi, Mario. I said, former player Jim Thompson. I said, I want to take you back and remind you of this game. So he remembered the game, guys, because he said, I was pissed off at Brian Murray. They brought this guy, tough guy. He remembered the whole thing. Because part of the reason he retired, not part from the cancer, was guys like me. They'd bring guys up to get in his kitchen and play them tough, right, which drove them nuts. So he said to me, he goes, I remember that game because I was really pissed off with Brian Murray. He goes, I don't remember you. I said, what you, what you probably didn't know, Mario? I said, that was my very first NHL game. And what's the coolest thing was he has buddy beside him. He hits him like this. He goes, holy shit. He goes, could you imagine your first game covering a guy like me? Like he was giving me like, wow, that's pretty special, right? <laughs> I said, you know, to hear it from him meant, meant a lot. And I said, it's a, it's a memory I'll cherish forever, Mario. So, yeah, that was that was unbelievable, my first game. What did you think of the size of his mitts? His, uh, his, I was shocked. when I, I was now playing center against them, right? So here I am, right-wing tough guy, right? And, and I just could not believe the size of him. He's a massive dude. Wait, right, hold, on, hold on, So you were taking the draw against them in oh, that yeah. game? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, Did you win any of them? I, I, I think a couple draw. Like, you know what? It was almost it was almost like he was so angry. I remember him cross-checking <laughs> me, right? Yeah, I remember him cross-checking me. He got a penalty on it, too. But he was so pissed off because he knew, right? I'm up there, you know, just like they all knew that they called this guy up fighter from the league to fighter from the minors to cover him. Like how, how ridiculous, but that was Brian Murray. That was Brian Murray wow. was a tough coach. So anything they yeah. could do to get Mario pissed off, they would do right. Because wow. he was their nemesis, right? You would have to. Yeah. You got to yeah. get him off his game. And they, they, they did it. You know, but he, he said, I didn't, I said, I know Brian was a nice guy, but he said, he was a guy I didn't respect a lot because he would do a lot of this, and I I could understand that. Yeah. No, J- Jimmy. Um, probably the most important part of of this show for me is going to be talking about the dreams do come true movement. Okay. Yeah. Now, right before we get into that, I I, I just want to say, dude, you are a ninth round pick, right? Yeah, you were you were playing on an outdoor rink. Less than five years from when you covered Mario, would you say? No, 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 no. I played Seven? on an outdoor rink. Um, so let me think about that. Minor hockey, three years of junior, and then if I went back, probably ten, probably ten. Well, what year pro was it that you played that first NHL game? Nineteen eighty six. Well, what year pro is that, that for you? That would that would have been. Oh, sorry, my it was I think my. Uh, oh, yeah, that was your second year pro, man. My second year pro, yeah. Yeah, so that's pro. five years, buddy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah, yeah. junior, you were playing in an outdoor rink. Yeah, when I was younger, we went into yeah. indoor rinks after, but yes, okay. when I was younger, yeah. Right on, bro. Yeah, buddy, yeah. You were not Amazing. supposed to make it, my friend. Well, you know what? That's the whole beauty about memory lane i call it and we'll get into dreams do come true in a second as i said to you both earlier when people knew who i was and how i grew up they knew i was a good hockey player but they knew i was a i was a wreck too right you know like i said my brothers were bikers there there would be 30 harley davidson's parked at my mom's trailer on a sunday right like it was it was the surreal life and i somehow 
escape that whole, you know, uh, trap, if you will, of being that, you know, because if I didn't make hockey, I, I don't know if I'm here today. Right. Just the way we were going, we went hard. We went, you know, we just went hard. Our group went hard and it was an addiction and uh, a lifestyle that, you know, school meant nothing. You know, I failed grade four. I, I, you know, dropped out of high school. Like it was just, you know, it was a different lifestyle. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's when you say it, Sean, it, it's almost like a, this dreams do come true. How do, how do I cover Marilyn Mew from the trailer park? So thank you for understanding that because it does resonate with me big time. No, I know. And like, I, that's the, the, the Mario Lemieux covering I find is, is the most best example of the message that you're trying to send through this movement is that really, man, like what are the, what are the, the, the biggest odds? Like the, you know what I mean? It's where you came from, buddy. That, yeah. That's the hardest odds to make yeah. the show. Well, here's here's where I changed my my um, motivating, we'll call it. So years ago when I started my business of training and mentoring and all this, everything was make the NHL. That's the dream, make the NHL. And what I've done in the probably the last seven to ten years is go to school and get a scholarship. That's your NHL. Because if you can get to school – and get four years extended to your hockey career. After that, it's gravy. Right? Go to school, get a certificate, right? And play four more years. And then if you end up making it to pro hockey, it's all gravy. But I had to switch because we all know on this, on this podcast how hard it is. So to sit there and say, okay, our goal is to make the NHL. Yes, it's our goal and our dream. But the reality is let's go. You know, let's have this platform over here. This is where we're going, and after that, it's up to you. Because if we can get you in the university playing hockey, then you're on your way, right? And that's the big thing. Get your education, play hockey. That's the most important thing, I, I think, in my mind. Um, now, this dreams do come true. I, I, I want to pick your brain a little bit about it, buddy, because our show is a lot about awareness. We love this type of stuff. Me and Kyle love this type of stuff, right? And like, I mean, from from the research I got, I mean, you guys are changing the lives of young and old. The main charities from where I read was was in from the cold homeless shelters, the stop concussions. You also do a lot of stuff with the York Regional Police, which I think is incredible. Um, I know that your passion lies in youth. That's where that's what really drives you. You want to help those young people, Jimmy. Yep. And I mean that gets me motivated, buddy. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like I I love that type of stuff because it's very important, man. And and that's what's really missing from society these days. Like, we're we we need to help that age group especially, right? And and it's very important. Please tell us what you do. So I work at a school called King Heights Academy. I'm the NHL ambassador there. And I work with the issues. I work with the bullies. I work with the problems. And, you know, one of the things that really drove me to this youth movement is watching kids go to school and be bullied, watching kids cry, watching kids be, you know, just this whole lifestyle that, you know, a kid has to endure every day. And that's where I'm like, we need to fix it. So 
on my social media every day, I'm always putting positive messages, be kind, be kind, be respectful, be kind, be kind. And, you know, what I, what I'm, you know, my, I always say the NHL wasn't my calling. The NHL was for me to help people. And it's from addicts to a child that needs a little bit of confidence just to want to go to school or just to want to play a sport because we're all wired different. We get that. And when I watch how kids are treating each other today, it's frightening. It's frightening. And, and, you know, I say one life at a time, one child at a time. If we can take one bully to stop bullying six kids over here, those six kids are going to have a better life and a better experience going to school or playing sports or whatever. And it's not just the bullies. It's, it's, you know, we go from, uh, eating properly, you know, um, everything, everything, you know, everything to live a, a good life. One, one of the things with the kids I work with, the first thing they got to do is make their bed when they get out of bed, tidy bed, tidy room, tidy life, tidy day. So all these little things, you know, that I instill in these kids to say, okay, this is how we're going to change. Do you help? Do you change the garbage? Do you help? Do you cut the grass for dad? Does dad come home and the grass was cut? Are you in on your game machine, right? Like, so just breaking habits is a beautiful thing for me because I'm, you know what? There's a lot of parents that are so busy at work and they're so stressed out and they're paying the bills. Sometimes parenting is lost a little bit. And that's a, that's a problem in our household that, you know, it's easy here. Here's the, here's the iPad. Here's like, go to a restaurant and you see little kids on iPads because that's where they're quiet. That's where they're stimulated. Right. Well, I don't know how good that is for kids. You know, if he's up for eight hours that five hours, he's on an iPad and we're not communicating, right. Everything's texting. So I'm not trying to fix the world guys. I'm just trying to make people's lives more pleasant from being kind, being respectful. And I'd say this change one life at a time. That's incredible, man. Yeah. That's that's incredible. Now, because it's such an important topic, Kyle, you have a young son. Do you see the bullying at that age from like what Jimmy's talking about? Not not too much from on like my my kids age from group? my standpoint. Well, just okay. from my standpoint, I only have my kid. So I don't really see the bullying with my son. He doesn't bully um, and he doesn't get bullied by anybody that I'm aware of. Jimmy, what age group do you think is, is really needs like, like really needs to be addressed with how they're treating each other? Like, are you saying like the whole, everybody or it's, it's, it's right from adults down. You know, there's a lot of bullying going on in the workplaces. There's a lot of, you know, it's it's not just the kids, guys. It's our society. And I am not a fan of, you know, treat people fairly, treat treat them with respect. You know, you, there's so much stress right now with COVID and people losing their business and their homes and what's going on. And, you know, it's a bad time for our world right now. It's a bad time for a lot of people. And with that comes a lot of anger, a lot of, you know, hurting people. And again, I'm not here to fix the world. I'm here just to wake up in the morning and try to change one life at a time. And if I can make, you know, work with a young person to make them more confident and happier, then I'm doing a great service, right? Because I work with some broken kids. Like I won't get into it. It's sad how broken they are. And, you know, and I don't even like to use this word, but, but word, but it's, it's reality, you know? 
suicide is up with the youth over 100%. I think the stat last was. That's a scary stat. You know, I got five children, three of my own, two stepkids. And, and, and you know, to to have a parent lose a child because, like, it, I don't even like talking about it and giving it energy, but it's reality. And the amount of counseling and people I work with when this stuff happens, it's, it's devastating to watch a mother, you know, who brought this child into the world saying, why, why, why? Well, guess what? A lot of it stems from the child's what he's going through. Like you guys see this on social media and you see this in, in, in news stories. Kid was bullied, 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 bullied. What happened? The kid killed himself. Yeah. So that's, that's the extreme, you know, that's not, you know, I'm, I'm, that's the extreme, but it takes one, one situation to hurt somebody. And, you know, we had a, we had a bad situation here at Western university where, Two guys were going to rob, you know, it was the party week of university. And a young man got killed, 18, two, two other older students, I guess, were going to rob him. And they're drunk three in the morning and beat him up. But guess what? That beating up, they killed him. So yeah. think, of the de- think of the devastation on those two families, you know, and this is our society. Like, so, again, I, when you ask the question, I thank you for asking it because dreams do come true. Is just my platform of trying to make one life at a time better. And if I can help somebody, then that's what my my foundation is now. And that's why I get up in the morning and I want to make a difference in people's lives. And that's how I live my life now. Where now, can people find uh, this organization or donate or? They don't know. No, just uh, no donations, uh, Kyle. Uh, go on to my website, Jim Thompson's Dreams. No P in Thompson. And It'll tell you what I'm doing, and, uh, you know, I, uh, like, you know, you mentioned, Sean, you know, our hockey team I own, we, we are, we plant ourselves at the homeless shelter, and it's, you know, you talk about feeling of helping a, a homeless person, and, you know, people think, oh, homeless people, druggies, or, you know, no, no, there's, there's, I can tell you that that's not the case. Especially I, not nowadays. No, there's a school teacher who is a supply school teacher. Obviously, she's not part of the union. She's just a supply school teacher. She, first time in her life, she didn't have a car. She didn't have a home. She lost everything. And she was in the homeless shelter. And I asked her, oh, I wow. said, what was her whole life? She's had a house, everything, but she lost everything. And I asked her, I said, what was it like the first day that you were homeless? She goes, do you think? She said, everybody thinks it's drugs, people do drugs or whatever. She goes, I was teaching school before COVID was locked us out. And now I don't even have a place to sleep. And I just went, wow. Like, you know, it's all over the place, guys. So I thank you for asking the question because, you know, the more people that can affect the life in a positive way. And you know the story, right? You know, Robin Williams said it best. You never know what somebody's going through, so be kind to them. Be kind to them. Like, what you know, everybody's got their crap. Everybody's got their problems at home and whatever. But, you know, be kind. Jimmy, I, I got I got a couple just quick questions for you here. Um, first of all, just to lighten things up a little bit, you mentioned that you have the five kids, right? Yep. Okay, so when your kids' friends come over, like, do they ever say, man, your dad looks like he's Van Halen in really good shape. 
<laughs> what do they see? They must. Well, there must be a thing. You look incredibly younger than what you are. Yeah. You're telling me I'm in good shape, buddy. I would hire you as my trainer, right? <laughs> then you got the flow going. Yeah. Come on, man. How old are the kids? How so how old my, are your kids? My my stepdaughter, the oldest, is Natalie. She's 27. Um, my daughter's 25. Nice. Um, sorry, 20, 27, 26, stepson 25, my son who's still playing hockey at Laurier 24, and then my youngest is 22. Yeah. Nice. So add to your question, yeah, they, they think that, you know, that I'm some, <laughs> some, some, uh, whatever they call it, like, how old are you? Right. You know, I want, Hey, I, I worked out twice today. I'm that's my, that's my new drug is mental health. I call it. I did 15 K and I was in the gym for just over an hour and that's five days a week. Very what, important 15, for me. 15 K on the, on the treadmill. No, no power walking outside. I love Whoa. Walking. Okay. Yeah, I don't, right I don't on. Run, I don't run anymore, Sean. And I find that walking is, you know, just so much, it just it's it's not hard on the body number one but it's so relaxing and i put my headphones in and i oh yeah 15k two hours and it's it's amazing it's a powerful thing yeah love it wow buddy now are you doing motivational talks as well yeah so i do everything from interventions motivational speaking mentoring you know, um, obviously my hockey program still, I'm called a lot. I spend a lot of time dealing with sad situations, word of mouth, you know, this person's son's, you know, into crack cocaine. And so I've been very busy over COVID taking people to rehab and, and, you know, helping them out, which comes back to my social media of all my positive messages are number one for me, but I have all these people I work with to say, look at my social media and my Instagram in the morning. And just understand there's some positive things in the world, right? So that's a job in itself just to know that people are, you know, the amount of private messages I get of thank you, you made my day, it helps, it helps, it helps. Well, you know, it's funny. I got some of my ex-teammates set messages to me and they're going, are you okay? Because <laughs> <Right? laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. all, all's good, right? All's good because they think yeah. I'm the one needing and 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 i make no bones about it i i have to feel what i post and i feel it and so yeah it's it's been uh it's been a trying time this last year and a half and uh spent i've spent a lot of time driving a lot of time counseling and so i do i do any anything to help right anything any way i can help uh you know tons of calls from the kids i work at at the school and you know just people want help people want a little happiness in their life so if I can give it, I'll do it. Right on, dude. And, the, the, you know, the, the other thing I was going to ask you, Jimmy, um, is like when, 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 when you first got involved with, with Aurora's team right now, right? Like, like what's your role with that hockey team? Like I asked you before the recording about that amazing poster that's behind you. Yeah. So my wife and I bought it seven years ago. Uh, wow. Like junior A team. Yeah. So right. I've owned you, You're it. the owner? Yeah, I'm the owner. Yeah, yeah. So. Wow, buddy. I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah. So it's, it's you know, it, it connects me. Like I was at the rink today at practice, you know, watching my players play and skate. And 
it's kept me in a different level of professionalism because junior A is serious, right? These kids all want to get to the NHL. Yeah. So it's really intense. It's a lot of fun and I love it. Like I just, I love being around it and love being with them and watching, you know, I live through them now. I'm like, I was them, right? You were them. And yeah. it's a, it's, it's a great motivation for me to try to get them scholarships and, and move them on and put on a great program, which we do. And yeah, it's a lot of fun. Dude. So the Aurora, like I, when I was playing tier two, like, like I, like I was in the same loop. I played for the Pickering Panthers before I went oh, to the OHL, right? Yeah. Yeah. So now back then Aurora was known to be a, a decent program, but dude, you're the owner there. You guys must be a lot of kids must, like you, you guys must be a like a highly touted place to go, no? Like, well, you know what's funny, and and Roar has the history. We're the only team in the OJ OJHL to win two national championships. Colberg won one, so it's you you know it's prestigious wise. We'd be right there. How our league works is simple. If you spend money and buy OHL guys coming down, right? You want yeah. to stack a team okay. and spend a whole bunch of money, you're going to win. Like one year we went for it. One year we won seven games with a bunch of local kids, you know, just do our best, knowing that we're going to lose a lot. So when you talk about places to play, my wife and I put a professional program on. Yeah. Where the kids get, you know, and we treat them like pros. They get a lot of things. So whether we win seven games or 34 games, Sean and Kyle, our, we have a great program. So it all depends on what your, you know, your year state's no different than in the NHL. This year we're going to be talented, young, and fast. And we'll win, we'll win our fair share of games. Our goal is to make the playoffs. And then one year what you do is you say, okay, let's go for it. When you've got enough inner talent, and then you start buying some high-end OHL guys that are coming down, and then you try to win a national championship. Wow. And yeah. then, again, before the recording, I was commenting on this hockey, hockey night in Canada theme. Yeah. That's pretty cool stuff, man. Do you mind just moving your head a little bit? Because yeah. we're probably going to get a good shot of this. Because this yeah. is, man, this is one of the best posters I think I've ever seen. Hockey Night in Aurora. Yeah, yeah. What a great yeah. idea, man. Yeah. That was good one of our star, star goalies, Bradley Ben Schubert. There's a guy I'm talking about, a four-year OHLer, came to us as a 20-year-old. Okay. That's the, year, that's the year we should have won the championship, right? But it's hard to win. Hard to win. Wow. Only, only one team wins. Jimmy, man, I, buddy, I, um, I have to apologize because I was so interested in so many things that we were talking about that I extended this a while. You know what I mean? I know, I know, but, I but man, I, I appreciate every, every ounce of effort that you put into explaining this stuff, man, because I've never heard insight like this before. Right. And, I love what you're doing. I can't believe that you own that junior team, man. Like, mm -hmm. like those kids are very, very, very lucky, man. Because I know what you're doing for them, and I know that you're doing the right things. So, shout out to you and your wife, man, Thank for, for doing you. that. Because yeah. you're giving kids an opportunity that you know they they just wouldn't see. Because people yeah. like you know what you know, and you're applying it now, Jimmy, and and, and that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. So I, I want to well. thank you for being that guy. I also, because it's good to hear this from another person, I benefit from your social media posts, okay? I have bad days, 
And I'm telling you, man, when I see your feed, it really does boost me. And I want to thank you for that too, brother, because man, you're really good at that and you got to keep doing it because it's really, really good. Okay. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, uh, hearing that Sean is, you know, there's times where I'm going, okay, you know, do I want to continue? I have to because of what you just said. And it's not about a competition. It's, it's about life. And one person saying, I got a guy at the grocery store when I go in there and he comes, his name's Joe. And he's like, I need your post in the morning just to hear that. I'm going, yeah, going to be there. Like, it's just like what it does for him. So, and listen, there's guys out there, Graham Bonner, who I love seeing. I don't know if you follow Graham and other guys that inspire me because they always got something going on. So it's just, you know, it's just, it's just helping each other out with kindness. Right. So I appreciate you saying that. Believe me, I do. No problem. So just before we go, I'm noticing now that this amazing golf shirt is, is an Aurora Tigers golf shirt. Yeah, so this is Aurora Tigers, and our name sponsor, we're the Access Storage Aurora Tigers. So Access Storage is our name sponsor. Right? Yeah. In junior hockey, you got to get sponsors. And of course. You know, so we are the Aurora, the Access Storage Aurora Tigers. Junior and how long have you had that uh, sponsorship? Just this, they've been with us two years, but before, prior to them, it was a Chevy dealership in town, Island GM. So yeah. They, they, uh, Access took over the name sponsor. This is the first year. Cool, man. Yeah. yeah. I, kinda, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Aurora Tigers now, man. Thank you. That, Thank that, you. That's so all much, I got to say. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. Jimmy, I want to, I, I want to thank you, buddy. This has been, this has been explosive stuff. Man, we we got into some incredible debates. I can't even imagine how much the listeners appreciate this one, man. This yeah. is this is really big for us, man, because this is the type of shows that we try to have all the time, and we don't we don't nearly get there as much as we want to. But this is yeah. it, bro. So uh, I want to thank you, Kyle. It was, buddy. I I, I got to thank you too, man, because this was a very entertaining show. You know what I mean? It was very entertaining for me, for sure, buddy. Yeah, no, I mean, Jim, dude, it was a pleasure meeting you. Um, I hope one day in the not-so-distant future I get to meet you in person. Uh, thanks for coming on. Uh, make sure you plug your social media so people can find you on Instagram as well. Yeah, yeah. Jim, let's hear yeah. it, buddy. Let's hear it. Uh, Jim Thompson 33. So no P and Thompson. Jim Thompson 33 is my Instagram. Uh, Facebook, you'll find me, Jim Thompson, NHL player, whatever. And then Twitter's Jim Thompson 33. And thank you. No P. No P in Thompson. No P, the dry one. I like that. Before we go, my mom was a Thompson with a P from England. My dad was a Thompson with no P, both Thompson. No way. (laughs) No way. Yeah. Wow. Wow. All right. Right on, man. I want to thank the listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Sheriff. Guys, we'll see you next time. Woo!